Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this Wednesday, the 18th of May, 2022. Unidentified aerial phenomenon. Um, The U.S. government doesn't have particularly good explanations for some things that Navy pilots in particular have seen flying around. There's going to be more on that um, as more conversation unfolds in in hearings in Washington, D.C., but suffice it to say that what um, lawmakers heard yesterday disclosed by the U.S. military and others in the know is that there is just a lot, frankly, that we don't know. So um, there you go. Are we alone in the universe? I mean, you and I know we're not alone in the universe. God is present. God is real. No reason to assume that um, the physical inhabitants of this planet are the only ones in the universe. I mean, there's nothing in Scripture that leads us to believe that we're the only ones. So um, it's an interesting conversation to prepare ourselves to have. The U.S. government has issued a um, an internal warning. Um, the context of this is a Department of Homeland Security uh, memo that was issued on the 13th of May. Well, it was unclassified on the 13th of May. The United States government is bracing for a potential surge in political violence after the Supreme Court hands down the ruling expected to overturn Roe v. Wade. So law enforcement agencies are investigating social media threats, um, everything from burning down or storming the Supreme Court building to killing the justices and their clerks to attacking places of worship and abortion clinics. Those things have uh, those last two have already started. Um, So. Uh, the threats target justices, lawmakers, other public officials, as well as clergy and healthcare providers. The, mem- the memo warns that extremist acts uh, could come from either side of the political aisle. And the reason that I bring this up is uh, in part to to say to anyone who might be listening, who might be inclined toward violence, um, that's just not the way of Christ. Uh, it's also not the way that. Americans um, resolve our conflicts with one another. We we talk it out and we vote uh, and we elect uh, people who represent our convictions. Um, and they talk it out across an aisle with people who represent other people's convictions. That That is how we do it in a representative democracy. We do not uh, take up arms against one another. Quick update on the baby formula um, crisis across the country. Abbott Labs has reached a deal with the FDA to open, to reopen its Michigan plant, uh, begin resupplying stores across the country with baby formula. I mean, the issue, uh, the shortage is really spawned, in my view, by a confluence of issues. First would be the strict regulations that have resulted in only four manufacturers being authorized to produce and distribute baby formula in the United States. 
um, just four. Add to that the existing supply chain issues that we're all facing in every uh, area of life. And then the recall of the Abbott-made formula um, based on what the FDA and Abbott Labs uh, and the CDC have now concluded there's no evidence to leak, leak, link Abbott's formula to the illnesses that prompted the recall. Um, and so the plant is going to reopen. Uh, manufacturing can resume in two weeks. Product, however, from that plant won't hit the shelves for another six to eight weeks. And so this, um, this shortage is going to continue for a couple of months. South Carolina has become the 16th state to pass a bill preserving women's sports as for those who are biologically female. Um, and so that conversation across the country continues as well. We got a ton of other headlines. Let me just touch uh, on this one international headline out of Ukraine. You've probably already seen this. But the city of Mariupol, uh, remember, a city the size of Minneapolis or Nashville, uh, has I will use it, I will term it this way. Um, it has fallen to Russia. More than 260 soldiers were taken into Russian-controlled territory on Tuesday after Ukraine announced the end of combat operations in Mariupol. Uh, and so those um, soldiers are not the last ones who were in the Azov steel plant. Um, but as President Zelensky said, we've reached the place where we just simply hope to save the lives of our boys. In another interview, a representative of the Ukrainian uh, military said, our supplies just finally ran out. So the surrender was negotiated with help from the United Nations, the Red Cross and others. uh, And the men are being held by the Russians, presumably in anticipation of a swap for Russian soldiers captured within Ukraine since uh, Russia invaded Ukraine on February the 24th. So more on Ukraine next with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College and Front Porch Republic. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of our day. Professor Jeff Bilbro joins us from Grove City College. He posts um, an aggregated blog on the Front Porch Republic, which you can find at frontporchrepublic.com. It's called The Water Dipper. Jeff, welcome back. Good to be with you, Cameron. Yeah, it's great to talk with you. So um, one of the pieces that you have posted is by Susanna Black, and she is talking um, there about the church and the church's active presence during the war in Ukraine. Can you brief us in on that? Yeah, so she interviewed uh, Ivan, I don't know if I can pronounce his name, Russian, who is, uh, I think, the president of the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary, and just talked to him about what it's been like being on the ground, mostly in Kiev and surrounding areas uh, in the last months. You know, he uh, evacuated his family and then stayed behind to to help out in whatever way she could. And it's a kind of remarkable account of, I guess, uh, presence and uh, the, the power of being present in uh, in the time of war and tragedy and turmoil and um, the way that she talks about the, the openness to God and to, to 
the presence of hope and um, companionship, even in really unimaginably difficult circumstances. So it's a, it's a really powerful interview, and and I guess a remarkable witness that he has been able to have during this difficult time there. Yeah, it is a remarkable witness, and I think that for those of us who want to be praying you know, specifically uh, today, let's just be lifting up Ivan Rusyn, R-U-S-Y-N. Not that, you know, God already knows, but it's helpful sometimes for me to have an individual in mind that I can lift up by name. Uh, And so as I'm praying the headline news of the day out of Ukraine, I now have this person who I can lift up. He's the president of the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary, and he's ministering in Kiev, alongside others um, on behalf of the witness of Christ. And it is this incredible incarnational presence, um, you know, bearing witness to the God who comes and and who stays and who remains and who loves and gives hope. And so I just I thoroughly appreciated the article and you making us aware of it. Let's talk about the Reforming Journalism Project. I have to think that this um, is kind of exciting for you to see. I completely appreciate the idea. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, this is a fascinating project, and it's kind of headed up by um, Angelou Fulton, who is a former reporter and foreign correspondent for World Magazine. And it's a really brilliant idea. So, you know, as, as a lot of people in journalism and just uh concerned citizens have noted over the past several decades, local journalism has really been hollowed out and small town papers either get closed or their quality diminishes and they mostly run stuff that's syndicated from uh, more national or or distant places. And yet with the rise of um, Email newsletters and other kind of new formats, there's this possibility for kind of citizen journalism. So it's this uh, one-week training camp. Uh, I think it's taking place in Union University this summer. And what they want to do is uh, equip, uh, you know, neighbors who care about their places to report on what's happening in their communities and then also to give them the kind of business framework they need to uh, start up these, um, yeah, kind of micro news organizations that are laser focused on uh, a small community or a small town. So it's a yeah, it's it's kind of grassroots, citizen led, um, but but also organized local journalism. And it seems like a necessary and really exciting venture in in a landscape that's often kind of depressing, discouraging. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting and it's free. So if you're available yeah. August 8 to 12, um, August 8 to 12, I mean, you know, what you got to do is you got to apply and you got to get there. Application deadline is June 15th. It's going to be held at Union University, which is in Middle Tennessee. Um, and veteran journalists are going to be telling stories to um and and help cultivate the ability of each and every one of us to start a news website in our own city or neighborhood. Like, it, I got to tell you, in terms of influencing the conversations of the day and actually bringing, you know, honesty to bear, I just, I love it. So um, you can find more information at reformingjournalism.com, reformingjournalism.com. All right, Jeff, let's, uh, let's take a brief, um, a brief pause. And when we come back, let's, uh, let's talk about 
um, this article uh, by Leah Sargent, a better abortion debate is possible. Here's where we can start. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. There's no question that conversations around abortion are contentious. They're hard to have. They're also totally necessary. So how do we start the conversation? How do we posture ourselves throughout the conversation? How do we um, end a conversation? If you know we don't come to a place of agreement, how do we still... Um, you know, depart those conversations as people who are going to return uh, to be in relationship with one another and and continue to live peaceably together. So that's the that's the context of the article. A better abortion debate is possible. Here's where we can start. I found it um, on the Water Dipper by Jeff Bilbro on FrontPorchRepublic.com. Um, Jeff, what's going on in this piece? Yeah, I think your opening set of questions is just right, Carmen. And Leah, I admire her her tone and posture so much because she models, I think, the kind of virtues that we need to practice in order to have um, better and more fruitful and in many ways more Christ-like conversations about these tough issues. So uh, even if it's an issue that we think we're pretty confident um, that we know, you know, what the the quote-unquote right position is, we still need to uh, enter those conversations with compassion and with um, grace and uh, and kind of cut through some of the, the partisan talking points. So I think she, she outlines some good reading material uh, that she thinks uh, models this posture, but she also just talks about the need to... Um, to recognize the kind of underlying cultural fears that make this such a contentious issue, that make abortion such a contentious issue, and um, that in some ways it's symptomatic of our broader uh, cultural lack of compassion for people who are inevitably dependent. You know, that we're all fragile and vulnerable and dependent, but sometimes we can mask it better than others. And in the context of abortion, uh, it's it's quite obvious. So, yeah, I really recommend Leah's Leah's work on abortion and feminism and and a lot of these issues. It's really helpful. Um, I want to spend the last several minutes that we have together talking about your piece that you authored, uh, posted at frontporchrepublic.com, dot com. Severe mercies and magnanimous despair. Uh, so out of this, we could simply get a summer reading list, right? We could <laughs> we could say to ourselves, okay, I need to read some Wendell Berry this summer. I need to read Andy Crouch's new book, The Life We're Looking For. Um, uh, I, I, there's other books listed in, in here as well. Um, if I read Wendell Berry, I may come to the place where I say to myself, but I can't live like that. Because I am too literally wound up in the technology of the time in which I live. So can you help me not despair of the time in which I live and instead recognize that this is the time in which God has ordained that I live? 
Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I had the great, great delight this semester to read a bunch of Wendell Berry poems and essays and novels with some with a class of students here at Grove City College. And uh, it's always fun to to learn from students as they grapple with, uh, you know, an author who has so much to offer them. And what struck me over the course of our conversations this semester was just how many of them both resonated with his vision, but were also tempted to various kinds of despair because, you know, what you articulated that it seems um, we don't have, they don't have, they weren't born into a multi-generational coherent community. They don't have a place to call home necessarily. Um, They live in a culture that's, that's so enmeshed with the digital and and yet I think that someone like Barry and also like, like you mentioned, Andy Crouch's new book, which is quite good, um, offers a way, I guess, of recognizing the the weaknesses and the, the ways in which our culture has fallen uh, or bears the marks of the fall and yet doesn't end in despair, offers offers uh, opportunities for us to take steps that that make it better both in our own lives and in our households and our communities, and also um, hold that despair that we do feel in a way that uh, is redemptive, uh, in a way that doesn't lead us to pessimism, but uh, leads us to recognize that our ultimate hope is only found um, on the other side of Christ's second coming, when, when he will make all things right. And so we shouldn't expect uh, a fallen world to be perfect. Which is, which is not always a, an easy message, but I think it's a Christian one. It's definitely a Christian one. Um, I think bringing, bringing people to a sober awareness that the world is not getting progressively better and it's not right. going to get progressively better. I mean, I think that the withdrawal of McDonald's, um, I mean, McDonald's wants to sell all 850 of its stores yeah. in Russia and pull out. So that's never happened before. Russia's never, I mean, uh, McDonald's never left a country after setting up shop. Um, and so um, I think that when people imagine that once the golden arches arrive, like, right, once there's economic prosperity, people are going to live at peace with one another. Um, and that's just not true. Like we, there is, there is a sin deep within us that motivates people to seek things and do things that are genuinely ungodly. And that doesn't stop just because we move into the modern era or the postmodern era or some sort of, you know, progressive positivism. Um, Optimism is not going to get us to uh, some place of universal salvation or economic parity. And even if we arrived at economic parity, it doesn't mean people would live at peace with one another. That's, that's not, that's just not who we are at the core of our being. Um, and that's a theological message. And we have to figure out how to share that theological message in a world that is is swimming in the idea that I, I really am self-made and I can do what I want and, um, and everything's going to be great. And that's just, it's not true. Yep, that's exactly right, Carmen. And it's, uh, it's important for us to, to remember that and then to orient our lives, you know, in light of that reality. Mm -hmm. And I think to be satisfied, um, to live with a contentedness and a satisfaction, that's one of the things that I, 
uh, maybe as the the unsung wisdom of Wendell Berry. Like he he is. I mean, we love him, and he is famous, but not in the same way that people who have millions of fo- not in the same way that Johnny Depp is famous. Let's just say if <laughs> exactly. if Wendell Berry were well, first of all, Wendell Berry wouldn't be on trial for what Johnny Depp is on trial for. But if he were. Um, the the life revealed behind the curtain would not be the one that everyone is right. seeing. Uh, do, does that make sense? I mean, like he yeah. is living a simple life as a very profoundly gifted person, um, but almost unknown to the world in the way the world thinks about being known. Anyway, he's right. just it's he's a delightful example of what it means to um live a quiet life that's pleasing to God. And, um, yeah, so yep. I, I appreciate you lifting him up. Um, all right. I know that it's summer. I know that, um, we may not uh, see regular posts of the water dipper. We know that you're on writing assignment, but we love that you visit with us and we're going to um, keep knocking on your door. Okay. Thanks so much, Carmen. All right. Thank you. That's Jeff, Jeff Bilbro. Um, read his piece, severe mercies and magnanimous despair at front porch, Republic, Dot com. We'll be right back. All right, before we have our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, where we're going to take a look at what in the world is going on in the world, I want to bring you one headline out of Nigeria. And let me just warn you, it is it is heartbreaking. Um, and it should be cause for us to be praying for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. A female Christian student um, at an education college there, uh, the uh, Sinji Shengari College of Education in Sokoto, S-O-K-O-T-O, Nigeria. Um, her name is Deborah, uh, and she um, she was stoned to death, and her body... Um, then beaten and burned um, publicly. It was filmed. It was shared on social media. Um, Her crime, uh, supposedly, is that uh, in a conversation on WhatsApp, which is a messaging app, um, she, she was engaged in a conversation about religion, it appears, um, and she openly praised Jesus. And for Islamists in the WhatsApp conversation, that was so great an offense. Um, they took that as an insult uh, that you would praise Jesus. They viewed as an insult uh, to their prophet Muhammad. Others say that uh, the the issue is that she refused to date a Muslim man. Um, whatever her you know, a quote unquote uh, sin on in this WhatsApp conversation with other students. Um, nothing, nothing could possibly be deserving of this kind of violent reaction. Uh, so the next day, um, a mob of Muslim students went to her hostel and grabbed her. Um, they beat her to death and then they burned her body publicly Um there is, uh, you know, there is a video during which um, these people are not ashamed to be showing their faces as they shout, uh, you know, Allahu Akbar. 
You may have thought uh, of Nigeria as one of the most secure places in the world for Christians to live. It's, it is, after all, one of the largest Christian countries in the world. I mean, the gospel is on fire in Nigeria. The, the gospel is spreading. Churches are growing. In many ways, Nigeria is the future of Christianity. And, um, and so we need to pay attention to what's happening to Christians there. Because where the church is growing and where the gospel is spreading, the enemy is going to ferociously attack. And in the Open Doors USA 2022 World Watch list, Nigeria ranks as the seventh most dangerous place in the world to live if you are a Christian. So persecution in Nigeria is not only real, it's brutally violent and it's deadly. So let's be uh, praying for Deborah's family and her friends. Let's be praying for the college ministry that she was um, that she was serving in. Let's pray for her family. Let's pray for the College of Education, which after the attack um, was shut down by the government. And um, and certainly let's be praying for justice to uh, be brought to bear um, in her killing. Ruth Kramer is going to join us next. Other international news from Mission Network News. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. has gone before. Joining us now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. How are you? Well, I I am well. I am well. I just found out uh, last evening that um, for Matthew, my my sweet son, who uh, is finishing his sophomore year of high school, because he's exempt from exams, um, his school year actually is going to end this Friday, not next Friday. And so I was like, oh, an extra week of summer, and I need to find something for him to do. So there you go. That's the lay. <laughs> I mean, when you ask how I'm doing and sort of what's top of mind, I'm like, oh, I got to do like teacher gifts by the end of this week. Like I, you know, whoo, okay. Hoo, hoo. Yeah, there yeah, you go. You. you know, I have no mm-hmm. idea what day it is today. I'm just, you know, following along, stumbling with, behind my calendar. <laughs> I get it. I get it. All right. Take us to the Philippines. I have not reported um, at all on the election there. So tell us what is happening in the Philippines. Well, the name Ferdinand Marcos might be familiar, but this is Ferdinand Marcos Jr. He's the son of the former dictator who's been elected to be the next president of the Philippines. That is causing quite a lot of concern for folks that are living in the Philippines just because of what we know uh, from his father's regime. Uh, 1972 to 1981, you know, he ruled the Philippines through martial law. And people have a very clear memory of what happened through his father's uh, control of the country. And they're very concerned this could be a repeat of human rights abuses and corruption that was uh, uh, at its peak over the years that the Marcos um, um, Marcos Sr. was in charge. So at this stage, there's there's concern about what's happened through the, the election results. Human rights activists have actually asked the Philippine Supreme Court to block Congress from a proclaiming or certifying those uh, election results uh, until they can uh, double check a few things that uh, led to the candidacy. Um, basically, they have to, to swear that they have not been convicted of any crimes. And the Commission on Election um, is support was supporting the petition of Marcos Jr. 
uh, to run as president. But then you, if you look back over the years, uh, there are some clear violations of things that uh, lead to some questioning of whether or not he was actually a good candidate for presidency. Um, so it's still kind of up in the air. Our partners, AMG International and AMG Philippines, are just saying right now they're not particularly worried about the overall politics of the situation because they're focusing really on meeting the needs of 100 uh, – I'm sorry. Uh, they're just looking to meet the needs of the Filipinos with whom they're working. When you consider they have 30 projects around the Philippines uh, and sponsoring 3,000 kids and their families, um, this is something where – uh, that they're really drilling down on what their mission is to be the hands and feet of Christ, to bring hope and light into the situation. And they're not really watching the big, bigger situation of the politics because, you know, if that happens, it happens. There's no point in worrying about it right now. They have to deal with the things that keep people alive for today. Um, we can be praying for the country because there, there, there's a lot of potential for unrest uh, with the situation there. Um, but uh, for now, the uh, the ministry says things are going forward, you know, as, as usual. Um, and just to continue to pray that uh, the, the love of Jesus would transform communities through the Philippines. Mm. All right. Sticking with headline news out of, um, you know, the east, what I would just consider the eastern part of the world. Take us uh, into this ongoing challenge that people in Hong Kong are facing as China um, asserts greater and greater authority there. Well, this is a situation that has been kind of on the radar for a lot of watchdog groups. China Aid is a partner from Voice of the Martyrs, and they're the folks that we talked to about this particular situation with the arrest of uh, Cardinal Joseph Zenzi Kun. Um, he was uh, actually arrested for uh, a national security uh, issue. And uh, the, the potential is that if he's found guilty, he could spend his rest of his life in prison, but he's 90 years old. Um, he's called the conscience of Hong Kong. And uh, the arrest is a very bold move because of what it says to the outside world about religious freedoms in Hong Kong and, and China's control over this. Um, Human Rights Watch is basically saying this is a shocking new low. The thing is that the, <laughs> it's not something that he did uh, right now, this he's being arrested for his role as a trustee of a humanitarian relief fund, which was helping the pro-democracy protesters and activists to pay their legal fees back in 2019. The fund was founded in response to the arrests of pro-democracy activists. And so now uh, China's trying to silence this and they are uh, cracking down on anybody they think is a figurehead uh, for that movement. Um, so in this case, it's uh, it's a an alarming situation for uh, freedom of speech. It's an alarming situation for freedom of religion. Um, I do want to add that Cardinal Zen and four other members uh, of that fund were released on bail, but they've also lost their passports. So there's they, they really can't go anywhere. Uh, the government is making it very clear they're keeping an eye on them. Um, we just want to be praying. Uh, ask God to give discernment and boldness to believers in Hong Kong as they are trying to navigate a very uh, tricky path right now because China is uh, tightening its grip on Hong Kong and the leadership of Hong Kong is not standing up the way that uh, the the civilians were hoping they were going to. We've been talking about Hong Kong for, I mean, what feels like three years now, like in terms of expectations of uh, of how China is continuing to 
assert greater and greater influence and authority. Um, so thank you, Ruth, for uh, you know c- keeping us apprised of what's happening uh, with our brothers and sisters there. I mean, there's a lot of Christians in Hong Kong. There are Christian universities and seminaries in Hong Kong. I'm I'm thinking that the Chinese uh, government is is going to not appreciate the presence of Christians, not just among uh, Catholics, but among evangelicals as well. Yeah, and that's that is one of the concerns. Um, this arrest could sour relations between China and the Vatican uh, quite severely, um, and that's going to set things back because the Catholic Church has been trying to improve relations with China over the last few years, uh, and this move is doing anything but. Um, all right, take us to. Um Let's pivot. Let's, you know, let's turn the globe a little bit and bring Afghanistan into focus for us. Um, what 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 news do you have for us out of Afghanistan? Well, one of the latest things, uh, and I say latest because I've been at a, a meet for five days. And so I'm kind of coming back into some of this stuff. When I left, Taliban officials were demanding that women wear full face coverings in public, along mm-hmm. with continuing their effort to um, uh, take the women out of the workforce. Uh, news came out about the first annual budget uh, for Afghanistan since the Taliban takeover. And right now, they're foreseeing like a $500 million deficit. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got some major issues with the economy happening. And in response, Taliban has decided to dissolve five key departments in the country because they're not deemed as necessary. And, and it was a cost-cutting uh, measure uh, to save money because of the deficit. Those five key departments were part of the um, former U.S.-backed government. One of the big things uh, there was the High Council for National uh, Reconciliation. Um, it was the like National Security Council of the country. So when you're seeing this happen, it's it's not it doesn't bode well. Uh, we're kind of going back to remember when we were talking about uh, Taliban 2.0. And Taliban mm-hmm. was saying, we're friendlier Taliban, we're not going to do these things. And we said, the last time you were in charge, we remember what you did. You're telling us, you told us then who you are. We expect that to be true here, even though you're promising something different. And even though it's taken more time to roll this out, they're showing us again that the Taliban is the Taliban. This is what we expect from them. And this is what we're, I mean, they're living up to that expectation. Um, at this stage, because Afghanistan is still falling apart, it's driving people to search for something else. They're looking at the religion that is connected to the Taliban and saying, this is not what we signed up for. This is not what we thought we were believing in. I want something else that brings me truth and hope because this is not it. And so they're searching for the one true God. And they know they know where to find them because uh, there are ministries that are all constantly sending information and beaming information through by satellite, uh, by satellite TV and by phone uh, into uh, by radio signals and, and by call centers into the country. So Afghans are actually turning to these resources and using them to Um, explore a little bit more. Heart for Iran has a call center that works directly with Afghanistan uh, and and Afghans. And uh, folks are busy there. They've seen their calls uh, increase exponentially. And and it's typical to hear um, from young people who are saying, uh, I want to know the truth. I don't believe in whatever my grandparents told me or whatever the culture says, because that is not what God has planned for us. We hear stories about dreams and visions, and those continue to be true. And that sends people looking for 
hope. It sends people mm-hmm. looking to the Christians to say, can you give me some answers? Uh, and then they request things like they request Bibles, they request resources. Um, they want to read a little bit more about this Jesus that they're hearing about, but they don't understand. And then they find out more truth for themselves. And then they go searching for someone to explain it to them, to disciple them. Uh, and that's where we're seeing people turning their hearts over to Christ. In spite of the fact that the Taliban has such an iron fist grip on the country, we are seeing people um, kind of like slipping out from underneath that and uh, and and finding their hope in Jesus. The, uh, the growth of the church in this region is going much faster than, than was anticipated and probably much faster than what the Taliban would want to see. Mm-hmm. So we are also hearing about uh, expectations on a wave of persecution. Be praying for these new believers. Uh, once they become a Christian, you got to consider that they are um, often cut off from community. It's not just family issues. It's it's community. It's everybody they've ever known. And they're considered apostate. And that becomes extremely dangerous, especially for women in these countries. So continue to pray for believers. Uh, pray that they would get connected with other believers, uh, whether it's online, whether it is in person. Um, and pray for um, I guess, discernment, uh, wisdom. We always like, as Americans, we like to pray for safety for them. Um, that's not one of their first requests usually, but uh, we like to pray that they have a chance to grow in their new faith. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, we're going to return to this conversation with Ruth Kramer in just a moment. I'm going to ask her to uh, brief us in on some honor killings that have taken place in Iran and Iraq on the heels of the conversation we had a few minutes ago um, about the killing in Nigeria of a Christian woman who posted something on WhatsApp. One of these killings, one of these honor killings, is based on a post on TikTok. So this intersection of technology and social media um, and the rise of persecution against Christians um, is, an, is an interesting one and one we must pay attention to. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, I'm looking at uh, this headline from today. Um, it's May 18th. Kevin uh, Zeller is the uh, is the journalist here. Northern Iraq woman murdered for singing Christian songs. Um, that caught my attention after reading about the killing of uh, a Nigerian uh, student um, because of some things that she had posted on WhatsApp. Um, this woman lost her life. Um, because she was perceived to have brought dishonor to her family for posting a, a video of herself singing a Christian song on TikTok. Like, what what in the world is going on here? Um, and, you know, remind us what honor killings are, um, because this is, this is heartbreaking, and it's not the only place that it's happening. Well, in cultures like Iran and Iraq, where you find, uh, or like Turkey, um, where um, the the law tends to be a little bit more extreme on uh, the Islamist side. Um, the honor-shame culture plays large uh, in this. And 
when a woman does anything, when anybody does anything that uh, embarrasses the family, it brings shame to the family. They lose face in their community. Um, and so the repercussions are extreme. Uh, this is a situation where, because women also are considered of lesser value in the cultures, um, it is sort of accepted that if a woman brings dishonor to her family, her family members, her male family members are within their rights to discipline her or to um, bring honor back to the family by killing her. Um, so seeing a rise in honor killings that are actually being publicized is not actually a surprise when you consider the um, move towards extremism uh, that we've been seeing in some of these countries. Um, I would expect that you're going to see that rise, you know, especially in Afghanistan because of the Taliban. Um, you see in northern Nigeria the move of the Islamic State West Africa province. You've got the Fulani herdsmen. You've got Boko Haram. Um, you know, in Iran and Iraq, you've still got uh, al-Qaeda. You still have Taliban. You still have uh, ISIS. And so all of these uh, organizations are um, espousing extremist ideology in which honor shame plays a huge role. Um, and when a woman or when someone leaves their Islamic faith to become a Christian, it says they're rejecting that community, and that brings embarrassment to the family. So the reaction from family members is strong. And in some places where you don't have like overt government persecution, um, you will see that the pressure that's coming against new believers is going to be coming most from their family. Um, because that is where things are dealt with, uh, typically. Um, you know, in these situations, the woman that we're talking about in, uh, in northern Iraq, she was the daughter of a Muslim cleric, and she was married off at 12 years old, um, but she had left her husband, and she had become an activist for women's rights. That's a double whammy when you're considering mm -hmm. uh, the embarrassment that she's bringing to her family, and no less to the Muslim cleric who, you know, speaks... Uh, in a mosque, um, and his daughter is doing these things. So uh, it, it's an embarrassment to the family. Her brother and her uncle uh, sought her out and killed her. Um, in Iran, a husband beheaded his 17-year-old wife. After she left him, she fled to Turkey, and then she came back. Um, and then he he was just uh, very proud of what he had done. Um, but she, too, had been married at 12 years old. And, um, you know, this is this is bringing out a number of, of issues in these countries where you have uh, child marriages, you have child brides, you have um, honor killings, you have so many things that um, are problematic when it comes to um, women and how they're developing in, in some of these nations. And, and it's hard for me to say um, objectively. Uh, anything else about these kinds of situations because I've never faced those kinds of situations. I don't know anything different. Um, and from the North American point of view, these are, you know, uh, these are really big issues uh, because they seem to be really big issues. Um, SAT7 uh, has been looking at this and saying, well, how, how do we address this issue um, and still maintain an opportunity to have a conversation with these families? Um, you know, when they're looking at the civil laws and, and the, just the common community beliefs that are involved with this. So they've been working to kind of change the culture through programs uh, that, uh, that present biblical truth, that women are made in the image of God and have value. That's the same value as the man. Um, and, and 
it's a it's a paradigm shift for people to accept that in a lot of Muslim cultures. So it's just an ongoing process of educating people through their content and saying, um, you know, last week we told you about this. This is why the Bible says this. This is who we are in God's God's eyes as His creation, and this is His plan for us. He, you know, and, and it gives you this big opportunity to not only um, introduce the gospel, but also to shape and change culture from within. Mm. So the big priority there is that it will continue to do that. It will continue to encourage women who have a chance to watch satellite programming that Sat7 uh, produces, um, and that their husbands will find their hearts softened by this, um, that uh, God will move mightily in, in these areas, and that you're going to see a change that's going to be unexpected and inexplicable. Hmm. Ruth, as always, thank you so much. You bring us so much, um, not only information, but insight from our sisters and brothers in Christ around the world. And help us um, connect with where the Spirit is moving and also how to pray. So thank you so much. You guys can find all of the articles we discussed today and a whole lot more at missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. God is on the move uh, in many mighty ways. Uh, God is on the move in our lives and in our communities, and God is on the move around the world in ways we can't imagine. God is on the move across the universe um, in many mighty ways. I mean, like, if you just allow yourself to consider that for a moment, your world will expand. Your The scope of what's in your rangefinder right now will be um, exploded. And so let me encourage you to um, take a moment to grasp God's perspective on things of the world and the universe today. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.